Hello and welcome to the 13th episode of the Habibi Collective podcast, an educational resource and insider guide to the film industry. Um, my name is Noor Halu and today I'm here with Tara Niyami, Australian, British, Iranian and American photographer and cinematographer. Tara works as a director of photography and is, is also currently based in Los Angeles. Hello. Hi. Thank you. Thanks for, for having me on. <laughs> Thank you for having so, me on. Um, welcome. Let's start. Um, can you tell us a bit about what is a cinematographer? Sure. Um, so what is a cinematographer? A cinematographer is a director of photography. So basically, they are in charge of translating a director's vision into images um, through use of light and camera compositions, camera movement, color palette of the imagery, etc. So the director of photography works most closely with the um, project's director to bring their vision to life. So the director might have an idea of how they want the film to look um, and ask the director of photography the best way to make that happen. Uh, so it's both a technical and an artistic job. Yes, okay. And so how did you get into this and how did you get into photography? So I think filmmaking was always in my blood. Uh, my father, Ramin, is an independent filmmaker and his first feature film, I was about four, I was an extra in it. And one of my favorite all-time childhood photos is me being held up by his DP with my eye in the viewfinder of the 35 millimeter motion picture camera. So I feel like I was destined to end up a DP. Um, but yeah, I grew up with filmmaking being around me and even as a kid was always interested in images and visual arts. And basically I got turned on to photography in high school. I had a really incredible photo teacher and we had a dark room and I kind of started to shape a photographic artistic vision and he was very supportive of that. So I was making images but always interested in film and kind of made the transition after making some experimental shorts uh, because I was so excited about being behind the camera and being in charge of the visual look of a film that I decided to kind of make that transition, but I still do both things. Nice. Can I ask what, what you were playing as a four-year-old, as an extra? Oh, I was playing Bai Ling's daughter. Um, so it's a, it's a dark comedy set in New York called Somewhere in the City. And I can't remember who was playing my father, but Bai Ling is one of the main characters in the film. And I was their kid briefly on screen. I don't think I had any lines, but I was just there to look cute. <laughs> That's great. Um, so uh, one of the fir first films you made is uh, is a video that that is accompanied by a voiceover of someone reciting the poem The Sin by Furur Farukhzad, uh, who is uh, an Iranian um, feminist uh, poet, poet, uh, 
poet <laughs> and um, and the the poem is about women desire and sensuality and sexuality and can you talk a bit about this film and your background your cultural background sure um so my father ramin is from iran and my iranian heritage is a big part of my cultural identity even though i grew up here and i sadly have yet to visit iran i'm extremely close with that side of my family so I grew up with, you know, the visual art and culture all around me. And as a child, I was really into poetry. I wrote poems. And so I've always had this kinship with poetry. And Ramin actually turned me on to Fuchs' work. He was, he kind of said, Tara, I think you'd really like her poetry. And maybe you can make something with it at some point. And I read The Sin, and I was very moved by the voice of the narrator talking about her sort of fighting with her desire versus faith and how to kind of bring together the two. I didn't grow up religious, but have always had an appreciation for different religions and have friends from all different faiths. And I'm very interested in the female experience and sexuality. And so I decided to make the short. And actually, one of the main actors, Dominic Reigns, was in A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. So he's the sort of romantic co-lead, who's the man of her desires. And the actress is also, um, she was a psychology student as well as acting. And I had a voiceover done by an Iranian uh, translator and I think writer herself and then also featured some Iranian traditional music, which basically a sound editor mixer that Ramin and I know put me in touch with her because I really liked her translation of the poem. And, you know, it's sort of hard to um, find the best translations and my Farsi is not good enough to translate it myself. So I made that film with almost no money on a DSLR in my home, in a park, et cetera. And it actually won me a scholarship from the Iranian American Foundation for promoting my heritage, basically. That's beautiful. Um, and so uh, you're saying, you said before that uh, cinematography is about translating um, a vision. Um, and you work in photography and in different kinds of uh, films that have different narratives, you've done a documentary, you're doing a feature length at the moment. How does, how, how does this work? How do you approach each different task? Because it is about the visual, but it's also about the, the content itself. So basically going into any project, uh, for me, the first thing is what is the story? what is this about? So it might be a music video, it might be a fashion film, it might be a documentary, but what is the intention of this piece? What story is it telling? Whose story is it? And even in my first interviews, say, if I'm pitching myself for a job for a narrative film, I talk about the story before I talk about equipment or how I would light it or anything because everything I do is motivated by story and about those involved in that story. So 
I try to approach things in a humanist way where my work is very driven by emotion and human experience and the human condition. So regardless if it's a social justice documentary or a queer music video or a fashion film, for me, it's always about emotion and often female centric, though not always. The film I did with my father, I Without a Face, sort of deals with the male gaze intentionally. So the protagonist is a man, but it was kind of interesting, you know, approaching the male gaze from a female gaze, basically. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. Um, and how is it working with your father about this? So Ramin and I, although we're of very different generations and obviously cultural experiences, me being a first generation American and him being an Iranian immigrant, we still have a kinship over sort of aesthetic sensibilities and storytelling. We're both very passionate storytellers, very creatively invigorated and interested in what's happening in the world, political, etc. So we align in many ways, despite those sort of differences. So we're actually very good creative collaborators because we see eye to eye on a lot of things. And he's actually very collaborative in that he welcomes the ideas that I have. I give feedback on the script, the writing of the young female characters, how people interact with Instagram and technology. And he's especially, it's especially crucial to him that young people or women in his films are accurately written uh, no matter the genre. And a lot of his films have had female protagonists. So he's always been very open to what I, as a young woman, had to say about that. But yeah, we look a at a lot of visual references together, talk about the story and have some projects in the future um, that are quite different stories from one another, but deal with like family and relationships. Um, and yeah, I think our differences make the work interesting and our similarities mean that we work well together. That's wonderful. Um, and I was, I was actually looking at the, your, your website and the photographs that you took uh, during the past year, like the self-portraits that you took of yourself. And, I was actually thinking about something uh, about your mustache <laughs> because uh, <laughs> I'm working on a, on a research project that is about uh, beauty standards of Iranian uh, men and women in uh, Iran from the end of the 17th century to the beginning of the 20th century. And um, a common or uh, the, the standard of beauty was uh, somewhat androgynous and was mm -hmm. uh, had to do with uh, the light mustache and uh, the moon face and the rosy cheeks. And I was wondering if this, if any of this is um, on purpose for you or if, yeah. Actually, I would say it is. It's funny because I used to model or sometimes I do and Usually people focus on asking me about my eyebrows and why I don't pluck them or, you know, sometimes it's a 
positive things. Sometimes I feel a bit like an exotic animal, you know, like, oh, you know, you look interesting and ambiguous and, oh, is that intentional, whatever. But I think um, for me, it's kind of a mixture of different things. So, you know, being a young woman, you're bombarded with imagery about what a woman should look like, right? And there were times as a kid that I was called names or even a teenager that I looked like a monkey, that I should pluck my eyebrows. Even my Iranian American peers were like, you know, fixing their eyebrows, taking off any hair off of their bodies. And that was the standard of beauty. But for me, I guess both being low maintenance and just embracing androgyny, it didn't really matter. So I just stopped doing anything to myself. Um, and I think also, although I identify as a woman, uh, as I've come to be friends with more gender non-conforming people and came out as queer, I sort of came into myself and my ability to go between gender norms or whatever and present myself in more masculine ways, sometimes in more feminine ways. And my self-portraits, I guess I like to play with the way in which I see myself or different performance of self. And often as a model, I was photographed in a very delicate, graceful, feminine way, sometimes more strong, but rarely masculine in any way, rarely like performative femininity. And so it is intentional the way I dress in my photos, the way I light myself and whether that's flattering or unflattering, it's kind of about performance of self and emotion and you know my mixed whatever cultural sexuality I gender identity so um you say that your driving force be behind your work is the emotion of, of it and that uh you you said it and I see that you've like taken part in more uh, or um, some political work like uh, the, the documentary film that is about uh, police brutality uh, against people of color entitled Who Do You Protect? Um, and how, how is it approaching sensitive topics like, like those topics and how is it being political in an industry that is oftentimes very much fixated on one narrative and it doesn't accept, you know, um, difference of opinion and just being political in general. I guess I've always been very outspoken. You know, that's either something that has drawn people to me or drawn people away from me. So I have both friends and enemies, I would say, uh, since I was young and didn't really know what a feminist was, but I would call people out for slut shaming or you know, things and kind of just stand out, I guess. Um, I grew up with politics in my blood. You know, my family has, there, there's just like a lot of family history that deals with political things. And so I guess I was brought up to have a lot of opinions. Um, working on Who Do You Protect, which is being developed into a feature was extremely, soul satisfying, I guess, in the midst of COVID and isolation to be working on something that 
was so invigorating and about solidarity and family and love, even in the midst of violence and brutality, I found so much a sense of community being at these protests and rallies and filming. I've always been very reluctant to film at protests or photograph people and photograph people without their consent. I get very anxious about it because I don't want to be sort of like taking from people, just a taker. I prefer to be a collaborator. So I was very reluctant about what my place was as a non-Latinx person, for example, to be filming the family um, of Daniel Hernandez, a Latinx young man who was killed by a police officer. But they were so welcoming to our team, which was made up of activists. We were approaching it as activists. The Future Left is the group I was working with, and we got money from a fellow activist group to make the film. So it was about keeping strong relationships with one another and not like sort of tiers of power or anything. And we were constantly having conversations amongst each other about the gays, whether it was like not having the white gays or those of color on our team, if they're white passing or ambiguous or something like how how to both acknowledge our privilege or who we are as individuals, but not have that be the perspective of the work, have it be amplifying the voices of those involved. So it was highly sensitive and it was very emotional for me to film, especially the mother and sister of this young man, you know, in tears about having their family member murdered. And, you know, I was trying not to cry while operating the camera and they were in tears at the screening of the film. And, but the support of those involved with the film and backing this project to me means a lot. It means that we succeeded in amplifying the story and bringing it to a broader audience. It's on YouTube. We put it out there, you know, publicly. It helped elect or helped with the electing of a new DA and getting rid of the one who was taking a lot of money from the police union. And this new DA has, um, you know, been harassed and dealt with a lot of stuff for trying to create reform. So it's it's really good. It feels very good to be using my artistic skills to be a part of some kind of political change. I've never ever claimed to be an activist. I can't claim to be one, but I would like to be in solidarity with activists as an artist. That's absolutely amazing. Um, oh, thanks. <laughs> really. Um, it really is so satisfying to hear that the, the film had a, an impact on society. Um, that's like the goal. <laughs> I know, I know it's, it doesn't always happen. And you asked about the industry. I mean, I guess I never anticipated being very much a part of Hollywood. I do, some of my mentors in cinematography do work in Hollywood, but came from art house, but are very pure at heart, I guess. And they're also very driven by emotion in their work and are very supportive of me being extremely like opinionated and, you know, whatever. And these people that I mentioned are, you know, include white men and they're often, you know, hiring women on their sets, uh, amplifying voices of color, et cetera. So they're actual, you know, accomplices or whatever, because allies is such a silly word, honestly. 
Um, but I guess, I don't know, I work more in the art house world. It's not that I wouldn't work on a studio film, but I, I have to feel that it aligns with my values because I, I have sort of like a baseline of values and I, I would not want to give those up for money. Well, that, that's extremely important. And uh, you said something which is so true is that just people operate with... Um, a purity of heart and I think it's so not allowed to speak about that but oftentimes like it's it's just the case and it's not any more intellectual or complicated than that it's just it's what it is and thank you for bringing that up. No problem and I also I don't want to paint myself as some somehow this like perfect good no. person or something and I think it, it can be hard sometimes in terms of nuance to be, you know, political or driven with good intentions, but also grapple with, say, liking art by bad, harmful people or overcoming, undoing, you know, unconscious bias or learning that we have embedded in us. It, it requires work. And I just think like the importance is intention you know, yeah, absolutely. That work and being conscious of what our flaws are or what we don't know as much as like what we do know. That's very true. Um, and I wanted to ask about the choice. So often or not like more than often, um, people choose to, to use the documentary format to report uh, more political uh, topics, um, and I, I even use the term report. But um, do you? What do you think about this? I, I think it it can be a choice between um, documentary and uh, narrative feature films. Or I think that there is a place for both of them, and I always think about Roger Ebert calling films an empathy machine. I think that, you know, a film like Moonlight might have enlightened a lot of people on the experience of being a gay black young man growing up in Florida who have never met anyone from that background or might have had some sort of stereotypical view on what that experience would be like. I think that in general, ideally in film, we have the ability to transform the way that people see the world, not sort of in a propagandistic way, but just in offering other perspectives. And that's why international cinema is so important. And that's why even if it's within Hollywood, Parasite winning best picture and getting this acclaim say from the West is important because it shows that there is a valuing of a different perspective and experience, which we don't conventionally see happening say in the US like that, uh, you know, acclaim for a South Korean dark satire genre bending movie is pretty amazing. So I think there's a place for both, you know, and I guess for me, not that I haven't worked on like experimental work and stuff, but I'm most interested in making work that's accessible and that is, you know, that all different people of different backgrounds, not just people who went to art school or film school can understand and relate to. So it's actually the biggest compliment when 
people not from an art background have found value in my work. I've had, you know, a plumber say that he loved my photos or, you know, people who don't study art at all find something emotional there. I think, I don't know, I, I have some issues sometimes with how sort of exclusive the intellectual art or film worlds can be even unintentionally by those who are very intellectual. And I hope to use my skills to be a part of work that can reach people of all backgrounds, you know? Um, so I think there's a place for both, either like presenting reality, quote unquote, but documentaries are always from an, you know, unique individual perspective with bias anyways, or a fictional narrative that shows stories of an individual or say community that's underrepresented and that that can you know change society's consciousness ideally <laughs> yeah absolutely um and you know um i think it's it's interesting what you're saying here because um you a lot of films are um a lot of films are accessible because they are um, baseline educational. And I think that a lot of people sometimes um, go against that as a revolting uh, gesture because why should uh, generally the East always educate the West about other perspectives? Um, and I think it's, yeah, when you say that you want to make films that are accessible emotionally, I think it's it's on another level as well. And it's another conversation. Yeah, I think there is valid criticism in terms of the place of sort of education and emotional labor of people of color to, say, educate white Western people in their work or, or that they bear the burden of like all representation of their community as one person making one work. I think there is valid criticism there. It can be quite problematic, but I also think that there is, has proven to be a lot of value in works that weren't even like intentionally meant to educate, but more just to show and experience or resonate and sort of you know, invoked a lot of um, discourse and change. So, I mean, I think of, for example, Capernaum, which is by an Arab filmmaker, Nadine Labaki. And, you know, even though I am a Middle Eastern person, still my knowledge of Arab countries and that experience is limited because I have not lived there. And for me, it was a transformative experience watching that film uh this subjective experience of this young boy and what he's going through and i think that that was the case for a lot of people who watched it who had not lived that experience that they got access to the emotional world of this young boy of the refugee crisis etc but in like a very evocative way that's not just like news headlines and numbers yeah absolutely and i, I mean even myself, so Nadine Labaki, she's Lebanese and I'm Lebanese and I I didn't see the film. I haven't watched Kafar Nahum because uh, when it came out, I, I don't know, I didn't, I never got to watch it. And mm -hmm. um, But I know that it's about a, a refugee in a refugee camp and 
I've never been to a refugee camp in my own country. And so, of course, it, um, we cannot essentialize one topic to the whole region or mm-hmm. a whole country or anything for that matter. <laughs> it's so much more complex than that. And Yeah, exactly. So I think it's, you know, even within our own communities, there's so much we can learn from one another. And there is importance in that too. Um, but yeah, that film really struck something in me. It was emotionally visceral. It was informative, but it was also emotionally visceral. And I was mind blown by how this film could be made and how well it was made. And just, you know, this heavy subject that it approached, which obviously like that is important, but but in this sort of non-exploitative poetic way that's through the eyes of a child. And I personally also really love work about childhood and adolescence because I feel like a lot of times adults look down on young people and see them as little objects. And my undergraduate thesis was about seven to 12 year old girls called Her Own Private World that was about showing the you know, seriousness of young girls, like how they see the world and, and their experiences and not just like depicting them as cute little objects that don't know anything. I think that's super, that's super interesting. And I, I completely agree. And it is something that, that is under, um, it's not very common that a film is truly or a story is truly like projected through the eyes of a child or an adolescent. It's always an adult writing about that. <laughs> and it, it's hard. I mean, when you are an adult, how do you access that? But I think that some of the best directors have drawn so much from the children that they work with. For example, Asghar Farhadi, who's one of my favorite Iranian filmmakers, even when the kids in his films are not the protagonists, he has these amazing performances from children, including his own daughter in a separation that are so naturalistic and sort of feel really real. And it's because he's so collaborative and he just creates this environment and relationships that, you know, he is an older man, but has, depicted children in, I feel like, a very real, genuine way that you don't normally see. So I think it's all about intention and trust and collaboration, because when you don't have those things, to me, it comes across in the work. Absolutely. I've gone through all of my questions, but I would like for you to to, I would like to open it for you to say anything you would, you think is important. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. There's, <laughs> there's so many things. Um, I just know that I personally love what I do. And I also neglected to mention that one of the ways I got my start in cinematography is through photography. I worked and have worked as a production still photographer 
and it's sort of a, I feel like um, a lesser known underappreciated crew role on set that's actually really fun because you're working alongside the DP and basically capturing the scenes through still photos and portraits of the actors and stuff. And I did it kind of with the intention of learning from the people on set because you get to be a fly on the wall and watch the director direct, the DP light, the actors act. And I worked on this film, The Mustang, and speaking of humanism, it's a drama about an incarcerated man who works with wild horses in Carson City, Nevada, inspired by a real Mustang rehabilitation program. And I photographed on the set and I got the experience to photograph some men incarcerated, some of whom are out now with the Mustangs they trained for the end credits of the movie. And it was such an amazing experience. And, you know, I photographed, I had photos composited to make up the poster for the film. And I'm always encouraging people who are, you know, really into making images and want to learn to be a still photographer, even for their friends on short film sets and stuff, because you learn so much. And still photos are really important for filmmakers to publicize their films. So it's a win-win situation and it's the least stressful job on set because you're basically your own boss. And I highly recommend it. Anyone who's listening to this episode who wants to learn about making images and work in film and has never been a DP before, be a still photographer. <laughs> That's <Amazing>. my advice. <laughs> Amazing. I gave that advice recently to someone or actually like encouraged someone on behalf of their sibling who's interested in it to try it out. Very nice, very nice. Um, so thank you so much for this really wonderful conversation. Um, Thanks for having me. <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, I love the pleasure. podcast and you know, everything Habibi Collective does. So I feel very humbled. <laughs> Thank you.